Good, mo- good evening, not morning. How is everybody? We are good. It is good to be back again tonight. For those of you that are visiting, thank you for joining us. Um, yesterday, we were blessed to have a Bible class teacher workshop, and I was so encouraged for those teachers that came out. We are blessed here at Great Oaks to have some great teachers, but we had a number of individuals come out from other congregations to help um, join us and just to hone in on that Um, teaching skill that we want to strive to have here at Great Oaks and so that was such a blessing to see everyone so those of you that helped out and came out thank you for doing that education has always kind of been a passion of mine Um, I got my um, elementary education teaching degree um, when I went through undergrad at Freed Hardman and after that I taught second grade I taught sixth grade I taught seventh grade and and it was so encouraging now I teach graduate school which is a little bit more difficult but I also substitute teach now just occasionally just for fun and to get back in the classroom at my kids school but teaching has sparked in me this desire to try to figure out what it is that helps people or or gets people to be motivated to learn and I taught science in 7th grade and that was easy because we got to blow things up, we got to dissect things, we got to do experiments and it was really easy to get kids engaged and want to be there But I also learned really quickly that there were some kids there that just could have cared less to be there. It was a struggle to get them to come to class. Um, It was a struggle to get them to listen and not fall asleep. They weren't motivated at all. But on the other hand, there were some kids that just ate every word up that I talked about. And it was a challenge just to get them to, um, to not do their work so fast and keep asking me for more things and help them to be creative because they were just so on fire for that subject. And that was great. But... Going through that process, I learned really quick that there's two types of individuals, and it's challenging whenever you come across those. And I've spent a lot of time um, in my graduate career researching and reading literature, and as I come across a lot of the stuff to try to figure out what it is that makes people learn or makes them want to put forth that effort, I've come across a lot of different factors um, in terms of what helps people and makes them want to learn. And I, we know that different people learn different ways. When I was a kid, I was a visual learner. If you come to my Bible class, I have to write on the board and create notes because it just helps me physically understand what I'm going to talk about. Some people are tactile learners. They've got to touch things. They've got to figure things out, and they learn through feeling. Um, we don't teach kindergartners the same way we teach fifth graders. We don't teach boys the same way we do girls sometimes. We don't teach um, college the way we do babies. Everybody has to be... Everybody learns in a different way, and so we diversify how we teach. And that is sometimes a challenge because we get in there and we sometimes want to teach the same way for everybody based on a way that we are comfortable as teachers and as educators. And so that's a challenge for us. Um, but just recently, I've got to think about this idea of if, you know, why should my approach to teaching the gospel be any different than teaching what I teach in a classroom? If I'm going to come across diverse learners and people that learn different ways when it comes to sharing the gospel with them, why should I not change that up? Though in the classroom, I may diversify my lessons and my strategies to this kid or this kid or this kid um, based on how they learn. And it's just got me thinking about why do I teach the same way to most of the people when it comes to the Bible? And it's kind of challenged my thinking because in a lot of my studies, I've learned that there's three things that kind of rise to the top in terms of what helps someone learn. And that's teaching ability, how I teach, content knowledge, what I know, and relationships. Do these people know that I care, the connection that I have with those people as I'm working with them? You know, for example, if I come across a kid in my classroom who's motivated, they care about what I know. They're already on fire. If, that, if I say something dumb or stupid, they're going to call me out real quick and because they sometimes know more than I do about the subject because they've been reading it on their own because they're motivated. 
There again, when I come across a kid who's not motivated, they care first and foremost about, do I, does this teacher even care about me as a person? And so when I walk in there and start talking about mitosis and they're not motivated already, they're not going to care. They care about what we have as a relationship. And hopefully once we've built that trust, they will want to know and understand more about what we've talked about. And so that same idea impacts our ability in terms of how we spread the gospel to people that we come across on a daily basis, whether it be at work or at school or just out in the grocery store or whatever it might be. You know, Christ had an amazing ability to cater how he spoke to people in this light. He's, he balanced grace and love with this truth that he had, and, and he balanced that perfectly. He exemplified that perfect balance in building relationships and connecting with people, but then not being afraid to tell them what they needed to hear. What we read just a moment ago from Gary, John chapter 1, 14 and 17, we see that exemplified. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I've just realized that I haven't even started my PowerPoint yet. Teaching effectively. People learn in different ways. Some people are motivated and need knowledge. Some people are unmotivated and need relationships. Okay, here we are. So grace is that unlimited amount of kindness and love that we can give people that are undeserving. Whereas truth is this God-spoken standard in which everybody needs to know, to know what's right from wrong, to know what righteousness is. And Jesus exemplified that if we, um, if we emphasize grace without truth, without truth, we tend to be shallow and sentimental. However, if we focus on truth without grace, we tend to be harsh and legalistic. And so that balance is so crucial for us as we teach anybody God's word. Think about this concept as we strive to share the gospel and with, with others and the expectations that God has. Um, imagine you come across an unmotivated individual, and they don't know about God. They don't know about God's teachings. They don't care about what God has to say, or they may know about him, and they think that what he has to teach and what he says in Scripture is, doesn't relate to them or doesn't apply to them or it's too difficult or too hard, and it's outdated. You know, how we approach them is going to be a little bit different um, and we see this with Jesus in terms of how he approached different people. Let's first, we're going to look at four different encounters tonight. Um, first, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we see this first encounter with Jesus as he approaches the Samaritan woman and he teaches her. We're going to read um, this passage tonight in its context just because it's so good in terms of understanding the approach that Christ took. John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? Ask, ask, for, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and you who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than, than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did the sons and the livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I, I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to, to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What, have you said is true, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For, this, for the Father is seeking such people who worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now think about this just for a moment. We have a woman here whose priority up front is not about learning the truth. She doesn't even recognize that this is Jesus or know that it's Jesus here. She doesn't necessarily care about what he has to say. He's, she knows he's a Jew, so why would she listen to him in the first place? And Jesus understood that, but he took the moment to, in essence, just speak to her. And by speaking to her, he knew that she would be shocked. By asking a, for, from her a drink of water, he knew that it would change her mindset. And he did this, and it opened this door for him to say that spend this time and what he talked about afterwards in terms of what living water is and and the fact that some hard truth in the fact that who you're married, who you're with now is not your husband could he have just come could we have just come out the gate and say hey who you're married to is not your husband if they don't care or trust us we've got to be cautious about the people that we talk to and the approach that we have but we've got to also recognize that Jesus wasn't afraid to say the hard stuff he built that trust and then he moved into what was important. Secondly, if you would, turn over to John chapter 9. We see a, a very similar approach here as Jesus approached a blind man. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent, <clears throat> who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the, in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And if we skip on down to verse 35, there's some banter between him and his parents and, and, this, and some other people. And then we get down into verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast the man out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, 
and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also, are we also blind? Jesus said to, him, to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In the first encounter that we see with Jesus and this blind man, we notice he didn't say anything about the law. He didn't talk about what was important in terms of God's truth or God's word. He talked about, he first met the need that this man had. And upon the second encounter with this man, we see the more difficult truth that Christ brings to this man in terms of what is required in terms of who he is and believing in on him. We see the first approach in terms of builds trust. And then after that, we see Jesus getting into what's truly important. And so neither one of these individuals that we hear, Jesus here just was truly amazing at truly understanding and reading people and knowing what their need was at first, but knowing that he still had to get to truth in the end. Now let's switch gears a bit. Imagine that you come across someone who is already pretty motivated. We see that a lot here at Great Oaks. Someone will come across our website or somebody will walk in our doors and ask to speak to a minister. Someone that's already looking through truth, looking through the word and they've come across something or they've engaged with one of you all and they want to have some questions answered. They walk in and they want to know truth. They don't want to build a relationship with us. They don't want to go out and play pickleball for, for weeks and months and years and then finally talk about what's important. They, they want to know truth and word right then. And that happens a lot of the times. And so it's kind of nice for us because we don't have to spend a lot of time trying to gain that trust. They come in and they automatically want to know what truth is. And we see this one of these same examples with Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the, of the scripture that he was reading was, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him who can describe this, his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, do you, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, and, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going into the road, along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Here, see, is water what prevents me from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself, I don't know why I put verse 40, because that's not important for the story. But we see here this amazing idea where this, this um, Ethiopian eunuch, he was so excited. He was studying already. He was reading. He was motivated to know what was going on. Philip shows up. Imagine what would have happened if Philip had showed up and the Ethiopian eunuch said, hey, I don't know what this means. And he was like, I don't know either. 
Go find somebody else. Or if he said, let's go, let's go play pickleball for a while. And they spend day. And I mean, the eunuch would have been like, I'm gone. Because at that point, he, he wanted to know the truth. And, Philip, and maybe that's why God chose Philip, because he knew he would recognize what the need was at that very moment. And it's so encouraging to me that he saw that, and Philip was ready to do so. One more example, turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, we see Paul here in Athens, roaming around the city full of idols. And starting in verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. And as he saw that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. And he goes on to preach to them about what it's... what what their idol worship is doing to them. And we skip on down to verse 32. And it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their minds, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus and these other people. They're hard names. And so we see already again, Philip or Paul approaches these men and he, he calls them out and says, You're religious people. It says here that they, are, that they were God-fearing Gentiles here. They were Jews who were in the synagogue studying. Paul knew who they were. He didn't need to pop in there and want to spend hours and days and months and weeks and years just building relationship. He knew that a debate was needed. He knew that they cared, about, and they knew he knew what he was talking about, and, and they wanted to know. And so they cared about what knowledge he had to bring. And they debated with him because they thought that they had the truth also. So they were ready to have an intelligent conversation, and Paul recognized that. He didn't waste time in building a relationship. They already kind of trusted that he was smart, and they wanted to hear what he had to say, and he jumped into it. And we see these four examples, and we see two, different, we see two types of different scenarios. We see people that may not care about God's Word or really understand it or want to know about God at all. Then we see people who already know, and we see the approach is a lot different. And that's what I've learned in just my educational careers is once we look at people and we read people for what they are really interested in, it kind of changes how we approach them. But what we see is that approach is always similar in terms of what the end result is. They always, and whatever, it mean, whatever happens in Scripture, they always point their way to the truth. Turn over, if you would, to 2 Timothy. Here we see Paul encouraging this young preacher He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be ready 
when somebody approaches him, be ready to know and to explain what that truth is and know how to, how to teach it to them. We miss an opportunity with somebody if we show up and they want to hear and we say, oh, you need to go talk to somebody else. The same similar situation happens with Peter as he's teaching these exiled Christians in terms of how to have um, encouragement for them. In, verse three, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Regardless of the type of people we come across, there's going to be unique situations, and there's not always going to be a one-size-fits-all model. We see that the people in Athens, when Paul preached them, some of them didn't, didn't walk away and believe. Some of them did. So this isn't, again, a perfect model in terms of how we're going to reach everybody because there's going to be different scenarios. However, we see that the approach that we take with them is going to make an impact in terms of getting to the point of what's important. In my first couple years as a youth minister, I remember asking all the kids in the youth group, when you think about Jesus, how would you describe him? And a lot of them, like 99% of them, I think there was one kid that was opposite, but everyone said something like compassionate, loving, forgiveness. He was nice. He loved people. He helped people. He cared about people. But there was one individual that said, that focused on the idea that it was important to teach the truth. And, that's, and he didn't care if he hurt someone's feelings. That was what was important. And that's, when you think about our society and our culture, we tend to sometimes view, or our culture tends to view Christ as this nice, easy, loving person. And that's very true, but he wasn't afraid to teach the truth. And he balanced that truth with that grace that he also pointed out. We see that we serve a God that's loving and compassionate and forgiveness, but he values that at some point, whatever approach we take, we get to what's important. Exodus 34, 14 says, for you, should not, for you should not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is a jealous, is jealous, is a jealous God. Exodus 23 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy 4:24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. 1 Corinthians 10, 21 through 23, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. We've got to choose, and God is a jealous God who wants us to obey him above everybody else. You know, when growing up, even now as youth, it is hard for me to decide, okay, where do I, where do I stop the relationship part, the stop the relationship building, and bring in the hard conversation? And that's hard each and every day to decide, okay, have I built up enough trust? It seems like Jesus built up trust in a couple conversations. And sometimes I'm thinking, okay, I haven't got there yet. I still can't say the hard stuff. And so that's where we need to be prayerfully and mindful about the Spirit guiding us into, okay, what's the best approach as we come across people? Do they still need to gain trust, or is it ready for the stuff that they really need to hear? Because we do a disservice if we don't truly teach them the Word in terms of what they need to hear. We need to ask ourselves, why did sinners want to be around Jesus, but then sometimes they don't want to be around us? Why did the sinners want to be around Jesus? The sinners, were the sinners weren't motivated to change their lives, but it seemed like the minute that Jesus encountered with them, they were ready to listen, and many of them changed their lives. We also need to ask ourselves, how are the apostles able to get so many people to listen to them and understand truth? You know, many people they spoke with were already knowledgeable. They were motivated 
And the apostles were ready to tell the truth. They were ready, they knew it, and they weren't afraid, and they were confident to do so. Many people um, we need to recognize are going to have a different approach, different a different learning style in terms of what they're motivated to do. We need to be ready to, one, read people. Know where they're at in life, and we can't do that if we don't somehow build a relationship. But we've got to read people and know what their motivation is, what their goal is. Do they even care about God? Do they understand who God is? Meet people where they are as Jesus was, as Jesus did. We've got to show people that we care. It's important when we come across somebody that might not care about God to know that at least we care about them and we can show them that God cares through our actions towards them. And then lastly, we've got to eventually teach the truth. Notice that teaching people the truth always comes into play with the, with the evangelistic examples that we see in Scripture, but how we get there may be different. Jesus taught, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no matter what his approach was, his goal was to teach the truth and what that way was and that, that way was through him. So if you haven't accepted the fact that Jesus is the way and you haven't clothed yourself in Christ just yet, um, I encourage you to pray about that and think about that because as we see in all of these examples, Christ is the way in terms of salvation. But it, you may have or you may haven't, but regardless of where you are tonight, um, you may need prayers for one thing or another. You may be struggling with confidence. You may be struggling with life situations, whatever it might be. Know that we are a family here that wants to pray for you. If you're visiting, let us know so that we can assist you in any way. But no matter what your need is tonight, let's try to make a positive change so that we can truly reach those around us. If you need anything at all, let us know as we sing this next song.